Good evening, and welcome to this gathering of Covenant Hope Church. My name is Mark Donald, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here. It's my delight to begin a new series in Daniel, so if you haven't already, turn to Daniel chapter 1 that Michael just read for us. Uh, we'll be looking at all of Daniel chapter 1. It'll be helpful to have it open in front of you. Daniel is towards the end of the Old Testament after some of the other major prophets, Jeremiah, Lamentations, then Ezekiel, and then we get to Daniel, so it'll be helpful to be looking at the text. In 605 BC, Babylon invaded Judah. The city of Jerusalem was surrounded and besieged by bands of Babylonian soldiers, and they were led in person by their king, King Nebuchadnezzar himself. Supplies in the city ran low as the armies surrounded. The people inside were terrified and began to starve, and eventually the city fell and was captured. King Jehoiakim was defeated, and he isn't heard from again. Thousands of Israelites were taken captive in a series of deportations from the land of Judah and taken across the desert to a foreign land, the land of Babylon. All of their fighting men were first taken, as well as many of their most skilled labor. And so the city was only left with the very poorest of people in the rubble of of Jerusalem. It was during this time that God raised up a number of prophets, many of the major prophets, the the prophets who wrote the longer books. So, Isaiah wrote a little earlier than this, and he, he warned the people. He warned the people, the Babylonians are coming. They're coming as God's judgment because of our faithlessness to keep the covenant as a nation. During the exile, Ezekiel and his wife were taken captive and they lived among the Israelites camped in the, by the Kibar River just east of the capital, Babylon. Jeremiah, on the other hand, was left in Jerusalem as the city was destroyed brick by brick and the temple was torn down. But Daniel, who we'll be looking at today, Daniel was also captured. He was also taken to Babylon, but unlike Ezekiel, He wasn't left with the rest of his people by the river. No, he was taken right into the city and right into the court of their king to stand before King Nebuchadnezzar. Each of these prophets was given a different message for God's people, but together they form a message of hope and a promise of restoration for a people whose lives were being destroyed right before their very eyes. Daniel's message for us today in chapter 1, for those that were there in exile, and for us even now, is to live faithful to the Lord who reigns as exiles in this world. To remain faithful to the Lord who reigns as exiles in the world. That's Daniel's message to those who were conquered and taken into Babylon, and it's his message for us today. Daniel summarizes this exile very succinctly in those first two verses of the book, 
Look there for a second with me at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1. Daniel gives us God's eye view of the exile to remind us that God reigns. He says that the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. He goes on to say that the vessels that were taken from the temple used for worship were also given along with the city and the king. And they were brought to the land of Shinar, to the house of King Nebuchadnezzar's God. Daniel recognizes that in the midst of all that's happened to God's people and to their king, that God's sovereign. God reigns over all the earth. He's in control of all that takes place on the face of the earth. God's reign or His sovereignty is actually a major theme of Daniel as a whole. We're going to see it repeated throughout the incredible stories of the first half of the book of Daniel and his friend's faithfulness, and we're going to see it in the vivid prophetic visions of the future in the last half of the book as well. They teach us that God reigns over all of the earth and that God reigns over all of history as well, even the future. As we strive to remain faithful to God, we must have this God's eye view of the world too. Now, I, I know when I say something like, remember God reigns, know that God reigns, you might be thinking, of course, we're all sitting here in a church. We know that. We believe that. But if we're really honest with ourselves, it's hard to believe that God's in control and that He's reigning when the world seems to just be falling apart around us, isn't it? At the beginning of the year 2020, none of us could have imagined what it would hold. Lockdowns, job losses, sickness, being lonely, being separated from friends and family, and even our church. And then all of the deaths that went on around us and around the world. Our lives unraveled before our very eyes. Was God really reigning in 2020? Well, do you think that thought crossed Daniel's mind? How do you think he felt when his nation was conquered and his people captured, his capital besieged, left in ruins, his king is killed or taken into captivity somewhere? Then he's bound in chains. He's dragged across the desert, far from his home as an exile. What has happened to Yahweh? What has happened to Israel's Lord, the God of the Jews? He's conquered, defeated, dethroned. His vessels for worship are owned by the gods of Babylon, and His people are owned by, his, by their king. But Daniel and his friends knew, they knew the truth. They knew that Yahweh reigned even, over, even despite everything that they saw around them that seemed to suggest otherwise. They knew that the Lord was the one true God, that He was the God of Israel, but He was also the God of pagan Babylon as well. 
In fact, Daniel knew that this devastation of Jerusalem was the outworking of God's plan, His plan to judge His people. You know, these events were a fulfillment, a fulfillment of what God had spoken through Moses many, many, many years before in Deuteronomy chapter 28. It predicts that God's people would break His covenant, that they would not remain faithful to Him, and that they would be carried off into exile in a foreign land. God's people were unfaithful, and the result was that they faced the curses of disobeying God's covenant. So, in fact, their exile was a testament to God's faithfulness. God was keeping His Word. We know that. We see that here in Him saying that it was God who gave them into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. And we see God's sovereignty emphasized three times in this chapter. There in verses 1 and 2 about Judah going into exile, but also we see God's sovereignty over the heart of Daniel's captors. Daniel's determined not to defile himself, and he asks the man stationed over him if he can refrain from eating the food that would defile him. I'll explain why that was in just a moment. But did you notice there? Look at verse 9. Look at what verse 9 says. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Again, God gave. Daniel sees God's reign over the major events of his life, like being exiled in Babylon, and over the decisions of the king's servant showing him favor and compassion. Daniel sees that God reigns over the hearts of men who freely choose to show compassion or not. And thirdly and finally, Daniel also sees God's sovereignty in the skills and wisdom that he and his friends possessed after the three-year training program. Look there at verse 17. God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Daniel gives credit to God for their ability to learn a foreign language. He gives credit to God for their wisdom and his own unique gift of understanding visions and dreams. This unique special gift is going to play a crucial role later in the story, we'll see. Did you know that every gift that we have, every skill that you possess, all of it is given to you by God. Your ability to learn new things, maybe to understand multiple complex languages. I don't have that gift. God's not given me that, but maybe some of you. That's given by God. Or to solve perplexing problems. That's from God. And so, in every gift that we have, we should give praise to God. Just as Daniel here is testifying that these things came from God, we should turn them to praise God too. Do you see, like Daniel, God's sovereign reign over every detail of your life? Both the massively important moments and the tiny, seemingly insignificant ones. Even over the devastating pain and suffering that you face, like Daniel did. 
or the surprising favor shown to you by some unbeliever. God reigns over it all, brothers and sisters. He numbers every hair on your head. He sets up rulers, and He brings them down. He ordains every bird that falls to the ground. He determines every day that's ordained for us on earth, and He decides where we'll live and what we'll do. Our God reigns. We must remember this if we're to remain faithful to Him. Knowing God reigns should make us humble because it reminds us that we are who we are only by the kindness and the grace of God. We don't rule. We don't have control. He does. We make decisions, but God determines our steps. And knowing this should also give us great comfort, too, especially when the world seems to be in chaos all around. God's reign over every detail ought to spur us on and to bring us peace even in the midst of great storms of life. So whatever you're facing this week, whatever you're facing this month, whatever you're facing this year, God knows, and He's in control. He's reigning on His throne, the throne of heaven, over everything that's happening on earth, everything that's happening in your life. God's not anxious. He's not forgotten you. He's not on the edge of His seat to see what happens. You're exactly where He wants you to be. And like Daniel, He's even with you when you don't see Him. But Daniel did see Him, only with the eyes of faith. At work in the world around him, in the compassion of Ashpenaz, as well as in studying the literature and language of the Babylonians. Now, remembering God's reign over all the earth was the foundation for Daniel to remain faithful in a hostile world. And the same is true for you and me. In verses 3 through 5, we're told that having conquered Judah, Nebuchadnezzar commanded captives to be taken from among the high-ranking members of the Israelite society. They were to be brought in to be educated in King Nebuchadnezzar's court in the way of the Chaldeans, which is just another name for the Babylonians, to be taught their culture, to be taught their language, to read their literature, to study. Now, at first glance, that might not seem too bad, right? But King Nebuchadnezzar's plan was to decapitate Judah, kill their king, choose the most powerful and promising of their society to be re-educated into submissive servants of the empire, to be brainwashed, to rid them of their Jewish identity, and particularly to rid them of their devotion to their God, Yahweh. We're told that He recruited youths to be taught their literature and language because they were young and potentially impressionable. They were flexible enough to learn new ideas, moldable, but not the, these four youths, as we'll see. Daniel and his friends are called youths, which means that they were probably somewhere between 12 and 15 years old when they were taken into captivity. Yet they had a confident trust in God, and they were strongly committed to honoring Him with their lives, even as refugees in a foreign land, far away from their family, 
Their parents weren't there, their friends, even their people. So let me address you today if you're here and you are 12 or 13 or 14 years old. I want you to listen closely for a second and see that being faithful to God isn't something only for adults. Planting your flag, committing yourself to faith in God, even when the world around you pressures you not to, is seen by the Lord. It's pleasing to Him. You're never too young to commit yourself to following the Lord. Some of the adults in this room have been following God since their youth. And I'm encouraged to see many of the youth in our church already doing that. We just brought in three youths into membership just a few weeks ago at our members' meeting. Praise God. Pray for that to be more and more. Brothers and sisters, pray for the youth of our church and for the churches in this city to know the Lord and to be bold and faithful like Daniel and his friends when they were just young teenagers. And parents, I want to encourage you, don't underestimate the impact that you have on your children. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, they were all committed to the Lord. They knew His Word. And as we'll see, they were willing to even face death rather than dishonor Him. I just wonder, what what were their parents like, these young men? What were their family devos like? Their parents were so dedicated to raising their children to know the Lord for themselves, that He alone reigned, that He alone should be worshipped, that we shouldn't worship any other gods or any other kings or anybody else in all of creation, only the Lord who created all things. So, I want to encourage you to be dedicated. Don't give up training your children in the ways of the Lord. Prepare them well for the hostility that they will face in this world. Help them to see for themselves what it means to be faithful, so that when you aren't there, they'll be like Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. It's only going to happen if they know the Lord themselves. We're also told that these four young men were given new Babylonian names. Each of these youths had Hebrew names, Hebrew names that linked them to their God. And you can even hear it in, their, in the names themselves. They all end with Yah, which is short for Yahweh, or El, which is short for the Hebrew word for God. And so you've got Daniel which means God is my judge, Hananiah, which means Yahweh is gracious, Mishael, which means who is like God, and Azariah, which means Yahweh is my helper. But each is given a new name. They're, They're being given a new identity and a new name that revolves around one of the Babylonian gods. Do you see the purpose here? Nebuchadnezzar is cutting them off from their past, cutting them off from their God to give them a new identity. But it's amazing, even here we see Daniel's resistance. 
because Daniel seems to have purposefully misspelled the names of these Babylonian gods. He changes letters in these names, so it just makes no sense. It's just one small indication of his commitment to being faithful to God, his resistance to the, to the pagan world that he found himself in. But here in chapter 1, the, the main tension we see is not in their new names, it's with their daily portion of food that the king assigned for them to eat and drink. Daniel and his friends had been brought into the king's court, and they weren't sitting in camps like those that were the rest of the captives at the river. They were given the king's food, portions from what the king himself ate, luxurious food. I wonder how tempting would it have been for these young men to just to give up and to just eat the food that they were offered. I mean, they were captives after all. They were slaves being offered the king's food. Who would have cared? Who would have even known? Do you see what Nebuchadnezzar is doing? He's given them new names, Babylonian ones. They have a three-year cultural and language training in the Babylonian language, and now he's given them the finest Babylonian food. He's trying to press them, to mold them, to assimilate them into Babylonians. And verse 8 Verse 8, right here in the middle of the passage, tells us how Daniel and his friends responded. It says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. Now, the Lord had given Israel very specific food laws under the Mosaic Covenant. You can read about many of these food laws if you turn to Leviticus chapter 11 sometime later and read them. But essentially, to eat the meat that was offered in Babylon, if it wasn't prepared properly, perhaps the blood wasn't drained from the animal, or if it was from an unclean animal, an animal that the Lord had said was unclean, maybe like pork, that would have been to disobey God, and it would have been to be defiled. It would make them unclean or unholy before God. It could have perhaps even been food that had been used in some form of worship of the Babylonian gods, and so to, to partake in this food was participating in worship of these other gods. It's not clear, but we see that it would have made them unclean and unholy, unable to enter God's presence. God's laws were designed to make His people distinct from the world, to make them stand out, to be holy. And so to eat this would be to reject God's reign in their lives just like the rebellion of Adam and Eve in the garden, who ate what was forbidden, what was not allowed. Daniel and his friends, they resolved they won't do that. They would remain faithful to their God. They would refuse this food offered to them. And that word resolved is to set one's heart upon something. Daniel's faithfulness begins by setting his heart to be holy to God, to resist temptation, to resist compromise in regards to God's laws, to not excuse breaking them, but to stand firm in keeping them. Daniel's saying he, he won't give in to the pressure. He couldn't help being captured and taken to Babylon. He couldn't really help being renamed by his captors, though we saw he internally seems to have resisted this. 
but now he's, he's asked to consume food that would make him unholy, and he resists. He pushes back, and he rebels. And like Daniel, you and I, we live in a hostile world. We live in a world that is opposed to God. We live in societies that are opposed to God. They're not tolerant. And Jesus taught His disciples that they were in the world, but they were not of the world. So the church is like Israel was in exile. Maybe we're not conquered, maybe we're not slaves, but we are in a land that we don't belong to. This world is not your home, Christian. You're a citizen of another kingdom, a heavenly one. We are sojourners and strangers and exiles in this world, and we need to remember that. Everything in this world wants to re-educate us about truth, to draw us away from faithfulness to God, to redefine what is right and what is wrong, to wipe out God from our lives. It teaches us to value what the world values, to think the way the world thinks, to enjoy the things the world enjoys. So like Daniel, if we're going to remain faithful to the Lord in the midst of all this pressure, it can't be just by setting ourselves to default or autopilot. No, we must set our hearts and our minds daily on being true and faithful to God. So every day as you walk into your workplace, as you decide what you're going to watch on TV, as you eat lunch with your classmates and have conversations, as you talk with your neighbor, it's going to require that you set your heart in the path of faithfulness. We make thousands of decisions every day which chart the course of our lives. And they'll either determine that we remain faithful or not. If we're not setting our hearts on the Lord, we will be drawn along by the world. Brothers and sisters, you have to consciously set your hearts on remaining faithful to God. But notice how Daniel does this. He doesn't always resist in exactly the same way. Did you notice? He and his friends, they didn't give up their Hebrew names, but they didn't fight being given new names either. Remaining faithful to God doesn't always look like an outward protest towards the influence of the world around us. They didn't refuse to learn the language or to read the literature, but they didn't allow it to change their worldview from the one that God has laid out in His Word. So sometimes faithfulness looks like a quiet inner resolve not to conform. We saw that even in Daniel misspelling these Babylonian gods' names, making them gibberish. We don't always have to correct worldliness around us. But as we do see here, Daniel, there are times when we cannot conform. But did you notice how he did it? Did you notice? Daniel was wise. He was shrewd. He didn't go out all guns blazing. He simply asked for permission to not do something that would defile him. And God gave him favor. God gave him compassion in the sight of this chief of eunuchs. 
Don't get me wrong, this was incredibly courageous for Daniel to do. A captive, a slave, pushing back on the request of a king. If the palace master reports this resistance, Daniel's head would be lost. The chief even, the chief eunuch even says it would cost him his head with the king if he found out. King Nebuchadnezzar was known for his violent rages. But Daniel asks, and God gives favor. So sometimes remaining faithful in our workplace or in our schoolwork or in any number of things is comes by simply asking not to do something that you feel would dishonor the Lord. And Daniel does this because he remembers that God is the one who reigns. And Daniel fears God more than man, even a king. Daniel remains faithful because he knows God deserves ultimate allegiance. Daniel's name is even a reminder to him of this truth. God is his judge. Jesus taught this when He said, don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Brothers and sisters, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fear of man is a snare of the devil. Remaining faithful to God flows from a heart that stands in awe of the Lord. And fear of God isn't just mere terror of God's judgment, but reverent submission leading to obedience, even when we face opposition. So let me ask you, are, are you more afraid? Are you more afraid of what your non-Christian friend might think of you than what God thinks of you? Does facing the disapproval of family or colleagues concern you more? than the disapproval of God by sinning against Him. The chief eunuch feared the judgment of King Nebuchadnezzar, but Daniel feared the judgment of his God. And faithfulness flows from a right understanding of God and His claim over our lives. His claim to our allegiance over even the most powerful authorities of this earth. We saw this very thing even in Acts, as Pastor Brian has been preaching in Acts chapter 5, when the, the apostles said that almost the same thing, we must obey God rather than men. The world will demand your obedience, your allegiance. It'll celebrate sin, and it will disapprove of those who disagree with it. We must fight to fear God above man. Though we're in exile, Though we are in a hostile world like Daniel, we're, we're not alone. Daniel had a small band of brothers, four youths who were committed to remaining faithful together. He had a community of faith, only four members. I'm certain God used them to spur one another on, and the same is true for us. We're not alone. The same is true for the church. God has given us one another. He's given us brothers and sisters in Christ to spur us on in this fight of faith. That's the goal of the church, is that through the ministry of each of the members, that we 
and, and, and the ministry of the pastors too, that we would be presented faithful before God on the day of judgment. So commit yourself. Commit yourself to live life in community. Live life in the community of the church. Commit yourself to spurring each other on, to remain faithful to God, whether that's here at Covenant Hope or wherever the Lord takes you, no matter how big or small that community is. When you feel weak and desperate and tempted to give up and give in, lean into the fellowship of the church. When you're tempted to fear man more than God, turn to brothers and sisters in Christ. Be quick to remind one another that God reigns, that He's worthy of our obedience. We can remain faithful and trust in Him. We see Daniel taking leadership among the four. He asks the chief eunuch and then the steward assigned over them, but he asks on behalf of them all. He says in verse 12, test your servants for ten days. Let's be given vegetables and to eat and water to drink. He continues to show wisdom. He takes another step in resisting and remaining faithful. Again, he asks permission not to defile himself with the uh, steward. But this time he comes up with a plan, and he, 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 he shrewdly asks for a test. He knows he's got three years until he is presented before the king, and so he asks for just an opportunity. Give us an opportunity. Ten days. He says, test not himself. He's saying, test the Lord. And God's faithful. The servant listens, and we're told that at the end of the ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. And so the steward took away their food and wine and gave them vegetables. <coughs> they were able to remain faithful. Daniel concludes that at the end of the three years of training, they were found ten times better than everyone else. None compared among all of the wise men, all of the magicians and enchanters of Babylon, because God had given them learning, skill, and wisdom. Daniel is driving home here that God is the one who gives us what we need to remain faithful to Him, no matter what the circumstances we face. God gave them favor and compassion with the chief eunuch. God gave them greater physical appearance on a diet of vegetables. The Daniel diet is, is, is not a good way to apply this text. It's they're, 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 they're asking to be faithful to God. And God made them fatter, in fact, by vegetables, it says. And God gave them understanding and skill so that they could then go and stand before King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel's reminding those that are in exile that God is with them, and He's with us too. God's sovereign. He's faithful. He rules over the world, and God preserves, and He empowers His people to remain faithful. Daniel and his friends, they're held up to us as examples. They display great faithfulness to God in the face of opposition a willingness to obey God no matter what the cost, even their own lives. We'll see again and again throughout this book. But Daniel's merely a shadow. He's a sign that points to the faithful one who was to come. 
one who, like Daniel, was from the tribe of Judah, one who, like Daniel, was willing to obey God despite great opposition, one who never compromised in his allegiance to the Father even when tempted. The Lord Jesus left his home and entered our hostile world. He walked in perfect obedience and faithfulness. He was free from defilement, the defilement of sin. He embodied the wisdom of God. He learned obedience even to the point of death and death on a cross. And at the cross, He took on our defilement for all the ways we've been unfaithful, and He took them upon Himself, and He faced God's judgment against them so that His people could be counted faithful in God's sight, those of us who put our faith and trust in Christ, who rose from the grave, conquering sin and death. If you are here tonight and you aren't a Christian, I wonder how you felt throughout this sermon. All this talk about remaining faithful to God, being distinct from the world, not falling into worldliness and breaking God's laws and sin, remaining pure and undefiled. And perhaps you've thought, I'm already defiled. I've fallen. I've followed the ways of the world in so many ways. I've sinned countless times. I've feared man over and over again and not feared God. Well, there's good news for you. Because you can be forgiven today. You can be counted faithful, and all you need to do is to trust in Christ's perfect faithfulness and His death in the place of the faithless and His resurrection from the grave to conquer sin and death and to submit to Him and His reign in your life. Turn to Him even tonight. But believers, perhaps you've also reflected as you've heard this sermon and studied this passage, and you're convicted of all the ways you fail. Maybe all the ways you failed to recognize God's rule in your life day to day. Maybe you're reminded of all the ways that you've been unfaithful even this week. We sang about this earlier, didn't we, in our new song, Oh, come all you unfaithful. O come, guilty and hiding ones, there is no need to run. See what your God has done. Christ is born. Christ is born. Christ is born for you. By Christ's death, God destroyed the record of debt that stood against us, His people. And when we're faithless, He remains faithful. He eagerly welcomes us to turn to Him, to confess our sins. But the good news is even better than that. It's not just that we get forgiven of our faithlessness, though that's true. More than that, He gives us more grace when we turn to Him. Because in Christ, He gives us all we need to actually walk faithfully, to follow the example of Daniel and even Christ. In Christ, we've died to sin. We've been set free from sin's slavery and its grip in our lives. We're no longer slaves. In Christ, we're given new hearts, hearts that want to walk in faithfulness to Him. And through Christ, we receive the spirit of holiness that empowers us to live holy lives distinct from the world, overcoming the pressures of living as exiles in this hostile land. 
Brothers and sisters, don't get comfortable here. We are expats in this world, not just Dubai. It's not our home. We were made for a heavenly kingdom where God will reign forevermore and all the faithful will rejoice in Him for all eternity. As we wait for His kingdom to come, as exiles in this world, let us remain faithful and remember that He reigns. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give You praise and honor and glory as the One who reigns on high. Lord, You are seated on Your throne, and Your rule is over all the earth. All that exists is under Your control and under Your command. Lord, we pray that You would help us to have this mind among us, that You reign on high. Lord, we pray that as we reflect on the fact that You rule and reign, that we would resist as exiles in the world, as strangers, as those who don't belong here, who are longing for a a new heavens and a new earth where Your reign will be perfect and there will be no more rebellion. When You judge all those that stand against You and You redeem all those that are trusting in Christ and what He's done, Lord, we pray that You'd help us to remain faithful. We pray that You would help us to resist temptation. We pray that You would help us to walk in Your ways and bring glory to You. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen.